We're really excited to be able to have that. I'm so thankful that Jim and Patty Preston will be leading that class next week. If you're interested, we need you to sign up for the class, so check it out. If you haven't received an email or anything, let Rhonda uh, know after the service or check online. But we'd love for you to join that class. The, the books are $15. But again, these are things that we want to do. As we talk about loving and leading people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, there's three words there that we really want to focus on. One is to love. Two is to lead. And three, uh, we want people to experience the life giver that is Jesus. And so that's our mission statement is that we want to do those three words. We want to live out those words. And we really want to help people. So one of the areas is for us to lead and for us to help parents. And I've known Doug Fields for a long time, growing up and doing youth ministry at different churches and using a lot of his materials, a lot of things that he did and reading his uh, book called uh, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, Student Ministry. And uh, so he's really good. And as you can see, he's kind of funny. He mixes some funny aspects to that. If the class is full, don't don't lose heart because we want to continue to do that. Our heart is that we want to provide leadership classes. We want to provide parenting classes. We even want to do some financial pieces in the future to where you can choose as options as as a class for Sunday morning that you can attend these classes that gives you prepared for the work out there in the world so that you can minister to people and be a good leader and be a good parent that will equip our people here at church to do the work of God out in the public square. So our heart and our desire is to equip people and so they can go out and do ministry and share the love of Jesus, amen? And share about Jesus being the life giver as well. Well, before we start our message today, I want to have a time of prayer. And I, I just want to do it a little differently today. I, I just want to have a chance. Maybe you've been going through some things. Maybe there's some things happening in your life or maybe you're burdened for somebody else. And we're just going to do it a unique way that we're just going to raise your hand. If you have a concern today, a burden, that you would just lift up your hand. So if you feel comfortable with that or if you feel like you want somebody to pray for you, maybe we don't know the circumstances, we're going to trust God with that. But you would just raise your hand and say, I'd like to have people pray for me today. Just raise your hand. Please raise your hand if you, you feel that way. Now I want to encourage all of us as church, the body, For us to look around and look at those hands. So keep your hands up just a little bit longer. And let's pray this week for the individuals sitting next to us, around us, in this worship center. And so I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, but I want you to encourage you to pray for everybody that you saw lift their hand up. And if you don't remember a name, it's totally okay. God knows the name, but you remember the face this week and pray for that person. So let's have a time of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come into your house and and worship you. And we thank you for the wonderful music. We thank you for seeing the children as they learn about Jesus and they learn about the salvation that only you can provide. And we thank you today we're a witness of a baptism, someone that's choosing to follow you and wanting to let the world know that they are a disciple of yours. Be with us today. I know that as we lifted our hands, that there were several that lifted their hands asking for a special prayer for them. There's a situation that's going on in their life or a loved one that they care about and they're burdened, Lord. Thank you that you hear our prayers. 
And I remember there's times where my prayers don't feel like they reach very far, but you hear every one of our prayers because you are a faithful and loving God. Help us today to trust you and hold on to you and thank you that we can be here in this place today, that we can pray for each other, that we can encourage each other, that we can help each other grow in our faith. And I pray, Lord, as we think about this week, that we would lift up these requests, these hands that were lifted up, and pray for each one, that we would encourage them and think about their issue. Even though we don't need to know the details, you know the details, Lord. And so we lift up these individuals and what's going on in their heart and life, that you would touch them and give them strength. And Lord, now I pray for our service. I pray for the message I thank you with thanksgiving that we see great things happening here. It's not because of any of us. It's because of your spirit, Lord, and your faithfulness to what we want to do for you. Be with us now and continue to help our ministries grow. And as we gain the, or receive the offerings and the tithes, we pray, Lord, you give us as leaders in the church wisdom and knowledge and your spirit move within us, Lord, to make good decisions when it comes to the finances that you've given And Lord, we trust you with that, Lord, and we ask for your guidance and direction in all things. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being there with us. We pray for those that have need, that you would touch each heart and give them strength. In your wonderful, precious name, I pray and ask these things. In your name, Jesus, amen. So today we're talking about the journey, and actually this is a follow-up to Pastor Mark's message last week as he looked at Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24, so if you'd like to go to the Bible app or open your Bibles up, we're looking at Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start with verse 13 is where we're going to start, and we'll stay there for most of our time today. So I want to look at this because we have an interesting situation where we have two guys on a journey uh, walk to uh, Emmaus, and they're walking to this village, this little city or this little town, and they're going towards this place. We don't know why they're going. Maybe one of them has the house that they live in, and he invited his friend to go along with them. But for what we understand that these two were uh, disciples of Jesus, not the twelve But inside the 70, probably, of the disciples that followed Jesus, if you remember, there's many stories that talk about Jesus sending out his disciples to do ministry. And probably one of these, or these two, were part of that 70 that were sent out at different times to do ministry. They had been following for Jesus for some time. And so let's look at verse 13 here this morning. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they they were kept from realizing it was him or recognizing it was him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their face downcast. One of them named Cleophas asked him, Are you the the only one visiting Jerusalem who did not know these things that had happened there in these days? And so what I want to share about that, and it's kind of interesting because this guy's like Cleophas, he's like, Wait a second, you haven't heard one word that happened here in Jerusalem? Have you been like, you know, like this is big news. And you got to think about it too. Like let's, let's think about how these two, 
if there are followers of Jesus, how they're weak or weak and a half, what, what it's been like for them. They come into Jerusalem with Jesus, with the palm branches down and people shouting, Hosea, Hosea in the highest. And everybody's receiving Jesus. And, and it's like, oh yeah, here we go. Good things are gonna happen. And then later that week, Jesus is arrested, betrayed, put to death in a tomb. Wow, what a roller coaster of a ride those events were for these two individual people and all the disciples of Jesus. To see their, their master, their Lord, rise and be celebrated and then condemned and put to death. What a tremendous sadness downcast feeling they had that they had somebody that was a part of their lives for so long they had Jesus be their teacher be their leader in front of them they were passionately following him and then all of a sudden he's just gone he's out of their life and most of us can relate to that if we've had somebody that made a difference in our life we can relate to that feeling of that loss that person you've been with all that time is just gone so Jesus was not a part of their life anymore. They weren't walking to where Jesus was anymore. As Jesus was the person they followed, they followed him. And now they didn't know where to go. So a lot of them would return back to where they came from. And probably maybe this is the reason why they're headed to Emmaus. With a downcast look. With disappointment. And that's my point. Disappointment sometimes comes in life. In this journey that we walk, your road is not Emmaus, but you have a journey of life that God has set here upon your time here upon the earth. And on this journey, you're going to face some disappointments along the way. And it doesn't mean that God is not real or that God is not on the move or God isn't doing something. There is just going to be some disappointments along the way. As we look at the definition of sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hope or expectation. You will face disappointments. And for us that have chosen to follow Jesus, we need to understand that this life is not always going to be easy. As a follower of Jesus, we are going to face many different kinds of enemies. Satan himself does not want us to succeed. He wants us to be defeated. He wants us to be down and out, discouraged, disappointed. But we put our faith and trust in Jesus because we know that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so when disappointments come, we should not be surprised. When things don't work the way we expect them to, we should understand that that is part of this life because we're not gonna understand everything that happens in this life. We're gonna be hurting at times and we're confused at times. Think about how confused the disciples were when they saw that Jesus ended this way. This ministry that seemed so high and like it was gonna go somewhere and then all of a sudden it's just gone taken away from them. But how many times in my personal life have I felt like, God, you're doing something really cool and then all of a sudden it goes down and then, then God's like, no, I'm not done yet. I have something more for you to do. Let's continue on. Luke chapter 24, verse 13, or 19. What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Let's just understand that the disciples, they were confused at this time. 
The disciples were not the ones claiming that Jesus was the Son of God at this point. They didn't really fully comprehend or understand who Jesus was. And this is the question that all of us will have to ask ourselves. All the people out in the world will have to ask at some point, who is Jesus? Is Jesus more than a prophet? Is it Jesus more than just a good teacher? And this is the question we will all have to answer and hold to account one day. Is that God sent his word, sent his son as a messenger to us. And what do we do with Jesus? How do we treat Jesus? Who is Jesus? And that's a question all of us have to come to reason with. As a great book C.S. Lewis wrote, Mere Christianity, I want to share a portion of what he says. Hopefully I don't fall apart as I read this because sometimes I stutter with my words. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the real foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept him as claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a, a man said that sort of thing as Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says that he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You could shut him up for a fool and you could spit on him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. In other words, if you really look at the words of Jesus through the scriptures, you can't just say he was a good teacher. He made the claim that he was the son of God. He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was making claims and making statements that was not just about being good teacher, but he was God's one and only son. And so the question goes, is Jesus a lunatic? Is he crazy? Is he saying crazy things? Is he a liar? Or is Jesus legitimately the Son of God? And that's what we have to choose. That's what we have to decide. It's very interesting, and I think it's very important for us to understand the early disciples did not fully comprehend who Jesus was. They were looking for a king to come, but they didn't see a Messiah in Jesus. Jesus was more than a prophet. And that's the question for you to ask yourself. Is Jesus merely a good teacher? Is he someone that has a good message to live a good life and the meek shall inherit the kingdom of the earth? Or is he your personal Lord and Savior? Verse 20. 
the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since he took this took place. One of the things that can really damage and cause us more disappointment than we should is we have our own expectations of God. We have our own thoughts of how God should behave or how God should work. Think about this early disciple here in Cleopas. He was sharing that they had a kind of mindset that Jesus was going to be on the kingdom throne in Jerusalem, that he was going to take the kingdom back from the Romans and set up a kingdom like David's and being a descendant of David to be that king. See, the Israelites, the Jews right now, are looking for the Messiah to come. They're not looking for God to humble himself and submit himself low to die for his people. They want a champion. They want somebody to come in and be a roaring lion here upon the earth to rescue them out of the situations that they find themselves. They're not looking for a meek leader. They're looking for a great leader. Unfortunately, they missed the boat on this because they missed out the fact that Jesus was going to humble himself first, die for all of our sins, and then become the roaring lion that he is. But the thing is, is they're looking for something earthly. They're not heavenly minded. They don't see God coming down to their level to rescue them. And this is what causes most of the Israelites and the Jewish people to stumble because they can't see their God being so great and so wonderful, willing to come down to rescue them. But he is. And the scriptures show us that. We could just take the Old Testament and point to Jesus by just using the Old Testament. That's what the disciples did. They didn't have the luxury of the New Testament. They would take the, old, the, the scriptures from the Old Testament or the Quran and show, or not the Quran, sorry, uh, way off topic. But anyhow, <laughs> thank you. So what we're going to, yeah, the Quran will lead you way astray. Um, Here's the thing, we had hoped. How many of our expectations when it comes to God causes us to be distracted? And I, I just realized, Tor, thank you, sorry. Um, but here's the thing, we had hoped, we have these expectations that God's going to work this way, or God's going to do this, or God's going to do that in my life. Instead of following Jesus, we start having our own thoughts about what we want to do, but we don't really take the Father's prayer to serious to heart when we pray and say, Lord, let your will be done and not my will. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If we would really mean that, we wouldn't be expecting anything, right? Because Jesus is what we look to. Jesus is what we go after. Jesus is what we pursue. We're not looking at our own benefits of this faith. We're not looking at how God can bless us or how God can take care of these problems in our life. We're looking at him because we love him and we care about him. We want to follow Jesus. We want to follow him. See, sometimes our expectations really really causes a lot of heartache and disappointment because we're focused on the wrong thing. Jesus, Jesus cares about you. Jesus loves you. But he knows more important things that should happen to reach more people for him. You know, God, God will bless you in this life. He has blessed me with a wonderful family and wonderful home that God, I knew God provided for me. But the possessions I have will not last forever. 
This is just a temporary life. I can't take it with me. All the expectations I have can lead me to disappointment because I expect God to do something here or I expect God to do something there when my main focus, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, what I'm saying is we get too caught up in our expectations and not fully love and really pursue Jesus. We should pursue that relationship. I don't want God to be my piggy bank or just my blesser. I want God in relationship with me. I want to have fellowship with God. I want to be in relationship with him. And the only way to have relationship with God is through his son. Through Jesus. Luke chapter 24 verse 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us. When they went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find a body, they came and told us what they had seen in a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companies went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Going further, he he said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't this be in a great conversation along the road and they can't recognize it's Jesus, but somehow Jesus is just taking them along on this journey. They're having such a good conversation. Jesus is taking them from Moses all the way through the scriptures and showing them why he had to come and die, even though they didn't realize it was him. He's fully explaining the whole scenario. Wouldn't that be awesome? And this is a neat thing that he did with them. But here's the thing, how much evidence is it going to take for you to trust and follow Jesus Christ? What will it take for you to believe and be convinced that Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in your life? See, the thing is, is a lot of us are slow to believe, slow to really trust him. Thank goodness for his grace and his mercy, right? How many do we, times do we look in the scriptures and we see the disciples kind of goof up and, and they make statements and Jesus is like, oh, why are you asking my left hand and my right hand uh, to sit beside me? Why are you so focused on these things? You know, you're, you're focused on the wrong things here. You know, I'm sure you got frustrated with them, kind of de- perturbed with them, right? <laughs> Any good parent understands that, right? <laughs> you get perturbed with your kids sometimes maybe. But he, he had patience and grace with them, even though they didn't fully comprehend. And isn't that a great thing about God is God's grace and his timing? Do you realize that there's so many reasons why he wouldn't share everything openly with them and help them understand right away? He wanted them to think, for one, God doesn't want you as a puppet. God wants you as somebody that thinks on your own and takes the information in and makes an, a, regi- a, re- a real educated decision on who Jesus is. Doesn't, Jesus doesn't want you to follow him in blind faith. Jesus wants you to believe because you have faith, but you've made that decision because of the evidence of who he said he was. And that's where C.S. Lewis comes in because he was an atheist, but after looking at the evidence, after looking into it, he came to the decision 
that Jesus was the way. One of the key things that happened with C.S. Lewis was seeing World War II unfold and seeing pure evil of mankind and understanding that evil is real, that there are some people bent on destruction and doing things that destroy human life. And it made him contemplate about faith, about God, and led him to Jesus Christ and Christianity. Even with our times of slow belief, it's nice to know that God wants to walk along with us on a journey of life. That we may not fully understand a passage or a piece of scripture. There's times where I find a passage and I'm like, God, what are you trying to tell me through that passage? And sometimes we just read over a passage and we, we kind of run through it. You know, we kind of go through it. I mean, if you remember Elisha and the story of the woman who prayed for her son, didn't have a son, and wanted a son, and God blessed her with a son, and then he died. And then Elisha came back and restored him to life, and he, he woke up, and it was like, well, what was that all about? Why would, he, why would God give her a son and then have him die and then for him to be raised back to life? Well, then later, if you read later in the book of Chron- or Second Kings, you know you read the story, and it unfolds that the, the fact is that they had to leave their homeland because there was a famine, and they come back, and because of the story about her son being raised back to life, the king gives her everything back that she had, and he even repays her for wages for years that she was away, that they reaped off her property. See, God has a plan and a purpose for your life that you may not see. and You may think, oh, it's difficult, oh, it's hard, it's all disappointing. But God has a way to make it real and make something happen that you think is impossible or you don't understand what God is doing in the moment. Sometimes we can be slow to believe, but the encouragement I want you to take with that is Jesus is willing to walk through you, walk with you through the journey of life to help you learn. That's the grace and the love that he shows all of us. I feel like I'm picking on this side. I'm going to stand over here a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> you guys need, <laughs> maybe you don't. You know? <laughs> so let's look at verse 16. Oh, sorry. We're looking at Psalms verse chapter 22. So Psalms chapter 22, verse 16 through 18. I can imagine some of these verses that he shared. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Who's this writer? Who's David writing about? And that's what the disciples are left with. Who's David writing about? Well, it's Jesus. But this was way before Jesus. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. See, one of the promises is that God made to David that his kingdom would last forever and ever, that his kingdom would not be separated from him. 
and you read the stories in First and Second Kings, you read all the, the, the descendants, and you're like, how's this happening? Because it's scattered, and it's all messed up, and it's all these betrayals, and all this, all this bad stuff is going on, and then there's nobody that really follows God, and, and how's this going to take place? Zechariah is saying that the person from the David's house will come with grace and supplication. Isn't it great to know that God has a gracious and loving heart that he wants to save us and it's written and Zechariah is sharing this with us. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for anyone, any child and grieves bitterly for him as one grieves for their firstborn. Wow. This was written before Jesus was born. Many, many years before Jesus came onto the scene. And of course, the very famous Isaiah 53, which led others, many people to Christ. We see that in the story of Philip in that book of Acts, where this eunuch from Ethiopia is reading Isaiah 53, and he's trying to figure out who this person is, and God sends him Philip, and Philip begins to explain to him through Isaiah 53 who Jesus is. In verse 9, it says this, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. Remember, he was in a tomb of Joseph, who was a wealthy man. Though he had done no violence, nor were there any deceit from his mouth, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will, uh, he will see his offspring prolong his days. And, he, and the, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Well, who's that talking about? That's Jesus. And Jesus was taking along on this journey. He was sharing all these different scriptures to encourage them to say, hey, I'm that person. Even though they didn't recognize him as that during that walk, he was explaining to them why Jesus had to die, why he had to die for the people's sin, and how Scripture was being fulfilled. Moving on, verse 28, back in Luke chapter 24. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. Isn't that interesting? I mean, they had such a good conversation, and God was doing some really cool things in this moment that they just didn't want to see him leave. They wanted to stay with him. There's something that was kindling their hearts, as we'll see here in a little bit, that kind of got them going, and they're like, wow, this is a really good moment. We want you to stay. We want to continue this conversation. We're just enlightened that you're here with us. In verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began it to give it to them. 31. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? One of the things I think is very important for us to enjoy in our walk and our journey with God is this Holy Spirit or, or the Holy Spirit. It's a person that comes into our life and he dwells with us and we're not alone. And where two or three are gathered together, he is there in the midst 
And God's Spirit is moving and doing great and mighty things. And for us to allow the Spirit to be with us, to speak to us, to give us boldness, to give us counsel, to give us some direction. I can't tell you how many times I've had the opportunity in a secular place, on a secular job that I've had over the years, to have the opportunity to share about Jesus to somebody. And I knew it wasn't me just saying the the things I needed to say. It was God's spirit within me speaking through me to help that person make a decision for Christ. There was one lady I was working at the Arthur Gushy shelter when I first became the youth pastor here. Well, I was able to lead to Christ at the Gusky shelter, and we were able to baptize her here while she was pregnant with a little one. Now, I lost touch, but I do know she kept the baby and everything, which is awesome. But I am so, it's so awesome to know that God is with us and that he ignites us in our spirit. He's the one that causes our hearts to kind of this flame, the kind of turn in our hearts that we're just excited. We know that there's more. We know that his presence is there. And it's just a wonderful feeling knowing that you're not alone in it, that you're God, you're walking with Jesus, you're walking with God, and he's in your midst. And this is what they're realizing. Their hearts were burning within them. As somebody wrote this, it says the disciples' hearts not the muscle-pumping blood, but their inner being were not only warmed, but burned as they listened to Jesus' teaching. Jesus also, as Emmanuel, or God with us, gave them insight into the scriptures. This affected the disciples to the point that where they could, not, they could actually physically feel it. See, God is a consuming fire. God is a fire that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. God is something that is alive. His word is alive. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about that it pierces even marrow. Pierces the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Last thing I want to share. Verse 33 says, They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Again, this image that they left and they were kind of like done. They were like, Jesus is dead. It's been three days. All of us are kind of downcast. We're sad about it. Let's go back home. Let's go back and, and, and let's, let's just move on with our lives, I guess. But yet now that they've seen Jesus, they're excited. They run back. They don't walk to Emmaus. They're running to Jerusalem to see Jesus. They're wanting to see who Jesus, or tell the disciples that they have seen Jesus. It says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he had broken bread. In my preparation for this message, a couple of things. One, the reason why Jesus doesn't appear to the, to the 11 right away is because what would they do with the story? See, the story is, is true because they're not, they're not fabricating this. This is not how you would tell the story and get people to believe that you're some great leader. 
They're, they're admitting that they didn't fully believe. They're admitting that they didn't fully trust what Jesus said. They believe, they're fully sharing that they didn't believe that he was alive. They're fully admitting that they didn't have an expectation at this point that something new was going to happen. And yet they're coming in and it's this excitement because they've seen Jesus, they've experienced this walk to Emmaus, and they want to come back and tell the others. And so right after this, and this leads up to where Pastor Mark left off or, or actually took you to last week, is that they, Jesus appears right in front of them as they come in and say, it's true, Simon Peter saw Jesus, and then Jesus appears right in front of them. Awesome. <laughs> Truly awesome. And the other part that sticks out in my mind is at the very end of that, he broke bread. My last point is this, as we lead into communion, breaking bread is something we say all the time, right? We break bread together. Well, think about some of these things. One is sharing a sense of brotherhood for someone or some group of people. It's sharing a sense of brotherhood. So when Jesus is saying, I'm offering my body and I'm breaking it for you and I am the bread of life, I'm inviting you to share with me what I have. I'm giving myself for you. You are welcome to partake in this breaking of the bread and fellowship. And here's something else I thought was really good. It is a significant event that fosters some meaningful connection and cooperation. Perhaps you are enemies Breaking bread with someone indicates a sense of forgiveness and moving forward after the affair. Wow. Isn't that really what Jesus did? We were all enemies of God. I know I was. I was not doing what God wanted me to do. I was in rebellion. I did not want God to love me. I wanted God to, to just go away. Leave me alone. You haven't done me anything good in my eyes. I was rebelling against God. I wanted it my way, not his way. I wanted to do my own thing. Jesus says, I'm breaking my body. I am the bread of life. I'm inviting you as my enemy to come and break bread with me so that you can have fellowship, so you can be welcomed in. You're a part of my family now. You're with me. We're together in this. This is an opportunity for us to find forgiveness and grace and mercy, for us to move forward. And it's an awesome, awesome opportunity.